0: Well, good morning, City Light Lincoln Church. How you guys doing? As Austin said and shared with you, my name is Mike. I get the extreme honor and pleasure to lead uh, the college ministry, help lead it uh, nowadays, which is great. Got some really cool guys on staff. Um, But just to get started, now, I'm super excited for our passage in John, but you're probably kind of already wondering, all right, I love City Light Lincoln. This is my family. This is my home church. But can anyone with a beard come up here and preach on a Sunday? Come on, seriously, like, Mo's got a great beard, Isaac's got this lush looking thing, and come on, let's be honest, Austin tries his best, okay? He tries his best, I like to call him Patches, so, but he's got this great mustache, and and now who's this guy with a good looking beard too, right? Like, what is the deal? And, And so when you look up here, you're probably thinking to yourself, okay, all of these guys seem so solid, so perfect, so righteous, and a little beardy, But here's the thing. As funny as it is, I hope, church, that you guys don't look up here and see perfect, righteous people. Because I'll be the first to admit, I do not stack up well in those categories at all. Maybe the beard category, yes, but not the rest of those. And here's the thing. I hope when you look up here, all you see are imperfect, broken sinners pointing to King Jesus. Amen? Because here's the thing. We are pointing to Jesus because he's radically transformed our hearts. Only Jesus could give a story like Austin. I love Austin, but only Jesus could have done that in his life. Only Jesus could have done that to Mo, and I can attest to it today too. I had a troubled heart. I I was going a different way, and Jesus got radically a hold of me, and he transformed it into a believing heart. Amen? That's an amazing thing, and that's what our entire passage in John is all about today. Got a troubled heart? Believe. Believe. In him And so church, if you're here this morning and you've got a troubled heart, there's a relationship that, that you expected to work out, didn't work out for you. You have a troubled heart. And Jesus says, believe in him. Hey, if you recently lost your job, if you're trying to figure out how you're going to pay for your expenses, your rent for next week, you've got a troubled heart. Believe in him. Have you lost someone close to you recently? Or are you going through a hard time with that? You have a troubled heart. Believe and him. Hey, hey, maybe you've got a friend that's, that you know loves Jesus more than you, and they're going through a really painful thing right now, and you're just questioning, oh, Jesus, why would you do that to them? You have a troubled heart this morning. Would you believe in him? And maybe you even have a physical ailment as well. Man, I've got this weird thing going on with my elbow lately, so I've got a troubled heart too. I need to believe more in him. And so here's the thing. If that's you, you have a troubled heart this morning, and Jesus' answer to that is to believe in him. So go ahead, open up your Bibles to John chapter 14. And as we dive in, I just want to ask one simple question. Why do we believe people? Think about that. Why do we believe people? Why do you believe people, no matter what they say, you know, yep, I believe that, I believe that. Why do we do that? Now, so when I was a young kid, uh, about second grade, a little bit taller than Austin today, um, got to get these jokes in as I can. So uh, when I was young, I was in my backyard. I was with my dad and my my grandpa, and we had this deck that we were remodeling, okay? And and my dad starts to take these posts out, and as he's taking these posts out, I'm freaking out. I get on a little bucket because I'm not very tall, just a little bit taller than Austin, and I put my hands up in the air, and I start holding on to this thing because knowing my vast experience with physics, what is up must come down. And so I am freaking out that this thing is going to fall on me. And my grandpa starts laughing. He says, Mike, what are you you doing? I'm like, what what do you mean? What am I doing? I am holding this up. This thing is going to kill us if I don't hold this up. And so literally with all my might, I'm trying to hold this thing up. So my grandpa's laughing. He says, okay, how how long are you going to hold that? I was like, well, until we get the other beam underneath of it. Okay, well, you stay there. Me and your dad are going to go get this other beam. I'm pretty for sure they went to go get a camera. They're going to, you know, the AFV, American Family <laughs> Videos. They're like, this kid is an idiot. What is he doing right now? Okay, so they go away. I'm standing there holding this thing up. And not only am I afraid, I'm now alone, and I'm terrified, okay? And, and I've got my arms up, and all of a sudden, the minutes seem like hours and days. And I'm like, when are they coming back? Come on. My arms start to get tired, so I start kind of switching, doing the whole switching thing. <laughs> and then finally, I get to the point like, oh my gosh, I can't do this anymore. Like, I, I need to keep trusting in what my grandpa said, to like keep holding on to it, stay there, don't do anything, we'll get something. But then I realized I can't do it anymore. And so all of a sudden I, I turn around, I face away from this thing. I'm like, all right, Lord Jesus, help me now. Like I'm going to jump. Like my grandpa's gonna be mad. My, my dad's gonna be disappointed. It's all gonna fall. And so I jump, I, I close my ears instantly thinking there's gonna be this loud noise. I'm disappointed in myself. But then all of a sudden I realize, oh my gosh, nothing happened. And, and so I turn around, I'm like, I'm an idiot. I didn't see the other beam on the other side. Wow, that is super embarrassing. And so (laughs) finished up the story. I walked around, and my grandpa saw me. He's laughing like, whoa, where are you going? And so to kind of save some of my dignity, I just kind of turned to him like, Grandpa, that's dumb. Like, I'm an idiot, but still, like, I ain't dumb, Grandpa, right? And so here's the thing. We trust people, certain people that we know, don't we? We trust people that we know naturally. But why? Because without belief in someone— we would live some of the most lonely lives and boring lives on our couches ever, ever. Belief is a central foundation, a central function to how we live our lives. And belief is just simple trust in someone or something that is then followed by an action. So belief is simple trust in someone or something followed by an action. Okay, so simple trust in my grandpa telling me to hold on to this thing with the physical action of putting My hands up. That is what belief is, okay? We believe people because belief gives us life. We believe people because belief gives us life. Now, when you're married, so for the married people in here, guess what? You've made a decision, you've made a choice to spend your life believing that that person is going to be committed to you for the rest of your life. And usually, what does that give you? It gives you a whole lot of life, right? Let's be honest. It gives you kids, right? And so here's the thing. Your life looks radically different because of that. You're no longer trying to sit on a couch, right? You can't do that anymore. You're just trying to catch up and catch your breath because life is chaotic. You've got a bunch of stuff, uh, preschool, daycare, everything that you have to get your kids to. And here's the thing. See, like all of us in the room can say that belief in people, belief in stuff, belief in jobs, and even belief in religion can give us life But unfortunately, even with all of that, that life isn't a guarantee to never have a troubled heart, right? All those things that you've got, that's great, that's awesome, it's giving you life, but you still end up having this troubled heart. Because those things, listen in, lean in here, those things don't fully remedy a troubled heart. The main thing that I want you guys to see to get out of this text today is that belief in Jesus is the only remedy, the only remedy to a troubled heart. Amen? All right, so we're going to dive in. We're going to start with just verse 1. Start slow and steady. So John chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Believe in God. Believe also. Also in me. So so we have to understand why is Jesus telling his disciples to not be troubled? And if you haven't been with us the last couple weeks, we've been walking through the book of John. Let me give you some some context here so to catch you up. We're in the middle of the last discourse. These are the, the final seconds are ticking off the clock that Jesus has to spend with his disciples. The final moments. And so Here's why the disciples are freaking out, okay? Jesus had just told them that one of their own, one of the own disciples is going to betray him. And Jesus is going away. And Jesus says, you can't come with me. Oh my gosh, but that's not it. And hey, hey Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the night's even over. Oh my gosh. Jesus is saying, peace. I'm gone. You can't come. All of you guys are going to be scattered and and confused. And and, oh, hey, Peter, you're not even going to make it through the night without denying me. If you're one of the disciples, if you put yourself in their shoes, you're freaking out a little bit, right? You've got a troubled heart. And, And Jesus comes out right and says, hey, don't let your heart be troubled. Trust me. Trust me. Trust God. Don't be troubled. Even you, Peter. Yeah, even you. In your, in your shame of denying me, trust me. More so, think about this. It's Jesus who's headed for the agony of the cross, right? Of the crucifixion, okay? It's Jesus who is deeply troubled. We learn about that in the chapter 12. It's Jesus who is deeply troubled in both heart and spirit. Yet on this night, when of all times it would have been totally acceptable for the disciples to lean into Jesus and lend him emotional and spiritual support, but he was the only one, he was the one who was still giving support, comfort, and instruction. Wow. For the disciples, they, they're troubled right now. They're confused. Uh, uncertainty of what Jesus means. That's a thing that happens over and over and over again. Jesus, I don't know what you're talking about. I am so confused. Scared by the reality of his departure. And I think there's this question that starts to arise for them in this room. And th- this is the same question that starts to arise for us. When, someone, when something bad, something painful happens in your life, and your buddy Austin comes around you and says, Hey, it'll be okay, Jesus don't want to hear that, right? Well, why should I believe in Jesus when I have a troubled heart? And so this question arises, how could belief in Jesus ever help me with a troubled heart? How could belief in Jesus ever help me with a troubled heart? And that is a good and difficult question. I'm really glad that I don't have to answer that. We're going to let the text do that. But here's what I want to preface. This is what Jesus is going to say to you guys through our text today. He's going to say, how? Because I've got you. I've got you, I've got this. And he's going to say, how? Because I'm with you. I am with you. And and lastly, how? Because I am for you. If you've got a troubled heart and you hear those three things, hopefully you're feeling just a little bit better. That's amazing news for us to hear. And so we're going to jump right in uh, verses two through six. You can read with me there. It should be behind me as well. Verse two, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. And you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so my first point is this. How does Jesus deal with the troubled heart? How can we trust him and believe in him? How does that happen? Jesus says, I've got you. I've got you. And so have you guys ever had a family holiday or a celebration at your house before? Probably all of us. Okay, who gets to stay with you? Think about that. Who gets to stay with you? The people closest to you, your immediate family gets to stay with you. And so your second, hand, or your second cousin, twice removed, named Luke, isn't going to be the guy that's staying with you because you don't know him. He's your second cousin. He's been twice removed. You don't know him. He's not going to stay with you, all right? There's no way you're letting him stay with you. And so to ease the hearts of the disciples, Jesus starts off the very first thing he says by letting them know that God's house is large. Not only is his house large, but that there is space, room for them there. Even better, the passage mentions that this is not a home, or it's not a hotel, it's, it's a home. Not a hotel, it is a home, and that's incredibly important. But but why? Because a family member stays at a ho- uh, home. Some guy you don't know stays at the hotel, right? Yeah. There is a place for us in the Father's house house forever. And Jesus is saying, yes, I am leaving you. No, you cannot come with me. Yes, life is going to seem extremely chaotic and confusing to, to you right now. But, but hey, don't let your sorrow, don't let your fear, and he turns to Peter, and Peter, don't let your shame trouble you. Trust me. Trust God. Believe. Why? Because there is a place for you in my Father's house." forever and and that is incredibly good news for us to hear but anytime we hear good news we're a bunch of skeptics right so there's some tension that rises and and that tension is well well, great jesus that's awesome okay if i believe in you in my father's house there is gonna be space for me that's awesome but that seems so far off i've got like 60 years left in my life here and and this thing this painful thing is right in front of me How, how is that gonna help me right now that's that's the question And so I want to ask another question. Is there any guarantee that you've ever had in life? Has anything in life ever been guaranteed to you? Nothing, right? Your Roth IRA, not guaranteed. Your house, even if you have insurance, not guaranteed. Your kids walking with Jesus later on in life, that's not a guarantee, Oh, your, your college education is actually gonna somehow pay itself off all the money, all the cost? That's not a guarantee. You might have debt for the rest of your life. There is no guarantee, but actually there is one guarantee. All of us before us have one guarantee. And, and right now in this moment, it's death. It's death. And as painful and sobering of a thought that, that that is, it's true. That is a true thing. We will all experience it. It is certain. And what Jesus is saying is this. Trust me with that hard thing. Trust me with that painful thing going on in your heart, in your life right now. Why, Jesus? Why? Because I'm not a temporary fix, okay? I'm not a prescription drug that's got some weird side effects, I am the real deal. I'm giving you the greatest guarantee. I'm giving you the greatest remedy that you could ever ask for. Okay, Jesus, I'm in. What is it? It's me. It's my life. Before me, there was no other guarantee except for death. But now I'm going to change that. So trust me, I've got you. I have got you. And if you were here last week, Austin had one of his one-liners. It was a great moment. I laughed really hard at it. And this is what he said, that if you don't like Jesus, heaven is really going to suck. Right? (laughs) Heaven is really going to suck. And here's the thing. If you look at this passage, just a surface-level thing, it's so easy for us to just think, oh, great, sweet, awesome, Jesus is taking us to heaven. But the text doesn't say that. Look at look at verse three. I want to be very specific about this. It says, who is he taking us to? Where is he taking us to? He is taking us to himself. This is incredibly important. We are his, and not only would heaven suck without Jesus, it wouldn't exist. At this moment, Jesus takes heaven from a place and, and turns it into a person. Jesus takes heaven from a desired hope to a definite reality. And that is incredible news for us today, because here's the best thing about that. When you're trying to find your way to someone rather than somewhere, guess what? You can call them. You know them. You can call them. Now, you can't do that with a location. You can't do that with a wishful idea. You can only do that with a person. When heaven went from a place to a person, it changed everything radically for us and the disciples then because now that person can lead you through the trials, the turns of your life to get to where he is. And even if you get turned around, even if you get turned down, guys, it's going to happen to you, okay? Even if you get turned around, even if you get turned down, even if you get lost along the way, you still have someone calling him where? To himself. Where? Home. That is incredible, incredible news for us to take in today. If you've got a troubled heart, Jesus is taking you home and he's talking to you. He has a relationship with you right now if you believe in him. But, but notice this, this could only happen, this could only happen if Jesus left. Everything hinged on him, not you. Everything hinged on him and not you. So us trying to to be better by, by going to church, following the rules, making the right decisions, we were already doing those things long before Jesus came onto the scene and we were still utterly, utterly lost in our way. The way to heaven is all on Jesus, not on us. How freeing that is to us today. If you've got a troubled heart, it's not on you. It's on him, and you can trust him with that. He has got you. The only way that we could get to our final destination was if Jesus became the final destination. Amen? The only way that we could get to our final destination was if Jesus first became that destination for us. That is incredible news for us today. But, but then there's this reality, too of, oh, Jesus, you're, you're going away to prepare a, a place for us? Does that mean this, this heaven is in disrepair? Does that mean that it's untidy? It's unclean? It needs improved? No. No, by prepared, Jesus means that the way to get to your room doesn't exist. Your room exists, it's for you, but the way there doesn't exist. Jesus is saying, I'm not preparing in the sense that it's defective, but that the way there is not yet laid down. There are some obstacles in the way. Sin needs to be atoned for. Death still reigns victoriously over everything, and the wrath of God is still unsatisfied, and the lamb still lives. So like these were the obstacles standing in the way between you and your heavenly Father. And Jesus is saying, "I'm going to make a way for that. Trust me. Trust me. Take heart and don't be troubled. I've got you. I've made a way. Believe in me. I've got you. Great news to hear if you've got a troubled heart this morning. I've got you. Let's hear more. Let's hear what else Jesus has to tell us if we have troubled hearts, how belief in him could help us today with our troubled hearts. Look at verse 7 through 11 with me. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and it's enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on the account of the works themselves. Uh, My second point that Jesus tells us when we have troubled hearts why we should believe in him. How? I'm with you. I am with you. And let me ask you guys this question. Have you ever done something in your life that you never thought you would do had not someone been there with you? Have you done, ever done, Austin's probably done that's a crazy thing, and he probably would have never done that crazy thing had not someone been with him. That's a majority of his life, right? <laughs> but here's the thing, here's the thing. We all have. And a few years ago, some friends convinced me to go do some mountain biking, okay? I'm talking about legit mountain biking. It's not the paved thing. We're talking about like huge steep climbs, huge drop-offs. And I'll be honest with you guys, I was out of shape. I hadn't been on a bike since middle school. Actually, I was on my middle school bike at this moment, (laughs) okay? And and all these guys had experience, okay? And all of a sudden, I'm getting a little frustrated because they're lapping me in this thing, all right? We're in the woods, they're lapping me. And there was this moment, its my first time on this course, where I came to a, a screeching halt. I, I crested right over this hill, and before me, I'm literally like looking straight down like, well, this looks like death. I don't want to do this. And my friends ahead of me heard all the screeching from the bike, and they start yelling, Mike, you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm about ready to die, though. And they yell back, well, hey, where are you at? Well, I'm at the, the death hill, I think. I don't know what to call it right now. Well, hey, go... Go down it, okay? We're waiting for you. Go down it. And so down I went. I never thought I would do it, but down I went. And why? Why? Because they were with me, okay? It reminded me that they were with me, they were for me, that, that at that time, I knew that I wasn't alone in my troubles. When we have a troubled heart, one of the best things we could ever hear is that Jesus, King Jesus, is with us. But that doesn't always mean that life is going to be pain-free, right? doesn't mean that life's going to be pain-free. And if I'm being entirely honest, that story went really awful very quickly, okay? (laughs) I was supposed to turn left around this tree. I went down it. I'm terrified. drilling kicks in. I forget about this tree. And I plastered myself to that tree, broke my helmet, destroyed my bike. But here's the thing. I know that sounds bad. It does. (laughs) It sounds bad. I know it sounds bad. But here's the thing, even though Jesus is with us, it doesn't guarantee that life is going to be easy. It doesn't guarantee that life is going to be pain-free. And even though I crashed, I can tell you this, I was still happy because I was in the company of my friends. They dragged me out of there. I needed them. All right? They dragged me out of there. And those friends encouraged me to keep coming back out with them. And guess what? Without that moment, without that pain, I wouldn't love mountain biking as much as I do today. Amen? And you know what? I know that we need Jesus with us. Without Jesus, I know we wouldn't enjoy life as much as we do today, if you know Jesus today. And so what we see in our text is Jesus makes an incredible statement. Look, look at verse 7. Look at what verse 7 says. It says, If you had known me, you would have also known my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Whoa! Press into that church. Known him, you know him. Past tense meaning the Father has been with them this entire time, and they missed it. The guys who have spent all of their life with Jesus miss it. Six times here we see Jesus say the same thing just in these few verses, that he and the Father are one, that his presence is the presence of God the Father. And I cannot overstate how important this truth is, because if we don't believe this truth, we've missed it. We have missed it. If we don't believe this truth, without Jesus's truth, belief in him, there is no life eternal with him. And man, there is this very real reality going on right now that we might have done a great job with this whole church thing. We might have showed up on time, left right on time too. We got to get out of here, get on the rest of our day, right? And maybe even helping out with the kids' ministry. Might have said all the right words, done all the right things things, lived an honest and relatively good life, gave it the good old college try, but still missed Jesus's life. Wow. Could that be true for some of us in the room today? Before I got to college, I went to church almost every single Sunday, unless I found a way to get out of it, but I won't talk about that, okay? (laughs) Almost every single Sunday, I was there. But if I'm being completely honest, I missed it. Before I got to college, I completely missed it. I didn't see Jesus with me in my troubles. I only saw him as a well-intentioned, morally good thought. Thought. When we look at verse 8, we see Philip ask something very similar to how I view Jesus for most of my life. He, He doesn't want a fluffy thought to comfort him. He doesn't want someone to come around him and say, hey, it'll be okay. Trust in Jesus. You'll be all right. No, he wants direct access He wants proof. Man, he wants an incredible display of God himself. And don't we ask God the same thing? When a hard thing happens, even if you don't believe in God, when a hard thing happens, you've probably gone before him and said, God, well, here I am. I've got a hard thing. Show up. Prove. Prove to me that you exist. I want direct access for you. And so let me ask you this question. If you know your Bible, who in your Bible has seen the glory of God to this point? Don't answer Jesus. That's a churchy answer. Who in your Bible has seen God's glory at this point? Moses. Moses is the only one. And in Exodus 33, it says this, Moses for the Lord says, Lord, now show me your glory. But the most that he was allowed to see was just a glimpse of the trailing edge of the back, not of God, of God's glory. Why? Because God said, you cannot see my face for man shall not live and see me. Uh Oh, all right. If, if you're a disciple at this moment, you're like, all right, I know my Torah pretty well. I know Moses. He's, he's like a hero of mine. But here's the thing. You know instantly, this is bad. Bold move, Philip. Bad. Like, I don't want to see how that plays out for you, you both out of that room. Why? Because you know that dude's going to die. And everyone else in that house or that bungalow, whatever it might be, is going to die. But, but look at how Jesus answers this question, because this is important. I've missed this so much. I just discovered this. It's a brand new reality for me. It's so important. Look at verses 9 and 10. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? This this is huge. Before Jesus, we couldn't even look at God without exploding or something or dying. I don't know, but it's bad, right? And now we have direct access. We have direct access to the very presence of God, the Father everything has changed. Jesus has made God himself known definitively, gloriously, and visibly. Is that not comforting news to hear in your trouble today? It is. And hey, I know that you've got a troubled heart, but but hear what Jesus is saying here. I'm with you. Not only am I, I've got you, I'm also with you. Your brokenness, your sin, your shame is no longer a barrier between you and God, the Father, because I've made it a bridge. And yes, Peter, even you, even your shame of denying me, it's no longer a barrier between you and the Father. I've made it a bridge. Actually, I've made it the bedrock of the church. We have direct access to God right now, today, through Jesus. And so Jesus' words, let not your heart be troubled, ring so much louder and so much clearer and so much more vividly us today because Jesus says, I am with you. I am with you and I've got you. But let's look at the last thing that Jesus says here in our text. Look at verses uh, 12 through 14 here. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So the last thing Jesus says, hey, you got a troubled heart? Believe in me. Why? I'm for you. I'm for you. Now, parents in the room, isn't it your dream to see your kids exceed your expectations, right? Isn't it your dream to see your kids exceed your expectations, that they don't falter in life, that they they don't lose their way, they grow up to be somewhat normal functioning adults in society, And not the kinds that are, you know, 30 living in your basement. That is pretty much the dream, right? That is the dream. Uh, More so, you will do everything, everything in your power for them just so that they might have the chance at doing greater things, accomplishing greater things than you ever did. Jesus has that same desire for those who believe in him today. Why? So that they might have a chance to do greater things things than him. And so we see these greater things and we start thinking, okay, Jesus, you did some pretty cool things. Like, does that mean I get to walk on water? That'd be cool. Does does that mean that I get to heal people or heal myself? I got this weird elbow thing. I don't know what's going on. Can I heal that? Oh, if there's one great thing that you would give me to do, can I bring some people back from their dead? Like, Let's be honest. That's what I'm going to be choosing, right? No, I don't think Jesus is talking about miracles. Not that he can't work miracles in and through you, but what I think he is talking about here is in verse 11. So look at verse 11. He says, believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works of themselves he 's saying, "Trust me, uh, trust what I say, and if you don 't trust what I say, look at what I do, look at my works, who do my works point to they don 't point to me, they point to God, and we know remember everything God has or Jesus has said, everything that he has done his works were to glorify the Father, and so the greater works are this and hear me out here the greater works are to glorify the Father. And to see King Jesus' kingdom expand and grow. You see, Jesus in his earthly body was constrained to both time and space. But now that's changed. In his earth, in in his heavenly body, the church, he's able to stretch around the world and influence the entire thing. Jesus is able to reach the entire world world. And we have the privilege of watching troubled hearts become transformed, of seeing people discover grace and truth and freedom in Christ over and over and over again. And so the greater things are this, that we get to be a part of King Jesus, not us, King Jesus getting a hold of broken families. King Jesus getting a hold of broken lives, of broken marriages, of criminals, of killers, of hurting people, of grieving people, of lost people like you and me, broken and sinners, and see him take all of us back to him. That's the amazing news. We get to stand as participants proclaiming the simple truth of belief in Jesus Christ and watch the kingdom of God unfold and expand and see broken people come to know him more and more each day. Amen? That is the good news. Those are greater works. We can rest in that. But there's one thing I want to point out in this verse very specifically. Look at verse 14. It says, If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. I will do it. Now, I want to comment on that because we tend to take this out of context a little bit too much, right? And so we have to understand that this entire verse has been prefaced by 13. And so look at verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name, stop right there. Whatever you ask in my name, go on, this I will do. So Jesus is pointing to this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Dang it, Jesus, why did you have to add that? I I thought you were saying, if I just believe in you, if I come to you in prayer and say, all right, Jesus, in your name, I want that house, I want that salary, I want that girl, come on, give it to me he's not going to give you that, right? If you know Jesus today, your heart has radically changed. And, and so the stuff that you desired before changes so, so much. Uh, Romans 12.2 says this, do not be conformed to this world, but by, be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern God's will, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Jesus is for you. He wants the best for you today, but that doesn't mean that he's going to give you everything you desire. Why? Because he knows you and I have a desire problem, a really, really difficult desire problem. He knows that about us. That's why we have a troubled heart in the first place. That's how we landed there. Jesus is teaching us, he's instructing us how to pray, how to come before him and say, Jesus, I've got a heart that has these rampant desires. It wants to run that way and this way, and I know it's not good for me. Would you show me what glorifies you in my life? Will you show me what glorifies you in my life? And would you actually be the thing that satisfies me and not all this other stuff? Jesus says, I know you've got a heart that runs rampant. Come to me. Come to me let me show you how to glorify the Father. Look at my works. Look at what I said. Look at my words. Let me satisfy you. And this is good news. He is for us. And City Light, if we enter into the depth of this, his love, belief in him, we would find our lives deeply, radically changed over and over and over again. Move from a troubled heart to a transformed heart. Wow. But so often we think God is is trying to get us to conform to his rules and religious motives. But that's not the case because reality is he is committed to unbelievable transformation in you and the world around you. That's what he is committed to. And so friend, what if our shame was no longer a barrier between us and God, but Jesus turned it into a bridge? A family, what if from now on we can bank on him to be the guaranteed remedy for a troubled heart today? Man, that's amazing. That by belief in him, he will make good on his word. Let not your heart be troubled because he tells us that he has us. He's got us. That he's made a way to have a reality for broken people to have a home like like us. He made a way for us to actually get there. That we can believe in him with our troubled hearts because he tells us that he's with us. That he gave us personal access to God the Father, God of the universe. And he's made that God known in all of his glory and all of his splendor. That we can believe him finally too with our troubled hearts because he tells us he's for us. He is for us, that he wants the best for us, and he gives us what we actually need. Life in him, instead of what we think we, we deserve, our desire. Life in him, instead of what we think we deserve, our desire. And so, believer, if you trust in Jesus, I pray, would you believe in him more today? Would you turn to him with your troubled heart instead of all that other stuff? Because you've got a desireful heart, just like me. It runs rampant from to time. Turn to him, turn to him to him. He's not a prescription with some weird side effect, all right? He's the cure. He is the remedy. And and hey, if you're in the room today and you're kind of on some weird terms with Jesus, you probably showed up here from the donuts or, you know, the friends fellowship, that kind of thing. Here's the thing. I want to be very specific. I'm really glad you're here. But would you too believe in him? Maybe for the first time, would you trust him with your troubled heart? And I know what you want to hear from God right now is answers. You want him to tell you why these hard things have happened to you right now. And you want to question his goodness. But if you dig down underneath of that, you're going to find what you really want is the assurance that he's going to solve it the way you would. He wants to solve it. You want him to solve it the way you would. But, but here's the thing. He can't give you that. But what he can give you, what he can offer you is so much better. He offers you his life for yours so that you might have his life. And so if you believe in Jesus' truth, belief in him and follow his way, his call, his voice, because he's constantly trying to reach out to us every single day, you will get his life. And which is far better than the only other guaranteed option, right? It's far better than that. So trust him, he loves you. Whatever your sin is, he died for that, and he loves you. Whatever your shame is, he wants that. And so, church, would you recognize that there is no barrier between you and the Father anymore? Jesus took that sin, he took that shame, and now there is a bridge. Would you give that up to him today, and would you believe in your heart that you can trust him with your troubled heart, because he's got you, he is with you, and he is for you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.